0: Welcome
1: to Life After Business, the podcast that helps you understand what your company is worth and what
0: your exit options are. Host Ryan Tansom and his guests give you all the information you need to get clarity and control over your business, build a valuable company to be proud of, and exit on your terms. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Life After Business podcast. This is episode 156, and today's episode is very special for a couple different reasons. The first one is that Jack Stack is on my show, and I am a humongous fan. I love him, everything he does, and I'm just absolutely honored to have him on the show. And the second thing is I have a huge announcement to make from my career standpoint with my business, Over the last few years, we've been delivering growth and exit planning services through GEXP Collaborative, and if you're one of my avid fans and listeners, you've heard me talk about it a lot. We've been delivering these services and building out this model so that way the owners can get all of the things that I wish I would have had before we sold the company, but being able to get it on a scalable model has been so difficult, and when we look at the sheer quantity of millions of companies that are going to go into market, people need help, and so... Over the last six months, I've done some major reflecting of how we can actually take this to the next level. And what it came to the conclusion is that I have split off from GEXP Collaborative and created Arcona so that way we can then take Arcona so we can scale this to help as many owners as possible. We have built out over the last six months a three day mergers and acquisitions growth and exit bootcamp for owners. That is three days on jam packed full of material to level the merger and acquisition playing field and to deliver this on a scalable model. If you go and you'll see the agenda on the website. And we're doing them in Minnesota on October 8th, 9th, and 10th. And there also is going to be a class in Dayton, Ohio on November 11th, 12th, and 13th. All the registration forms are on the Arcona website. So this is just one little thing with tons and tons of stuff to come as we continue to launch and and absolutely hit the throttle button behind this. So after I'm done rambling, you're probably wondering who the heck is the guest, Ryan, and what's the point? Well, today on my show, we have Jack Stack, who is the founder of SRC Holdings and is a god in open book management. He is the author of The Great Game of Business and A Stake in the Outcome. Aside from the books, Jack is a contributor to the New York Times and Inc. Magazine. He has been a judge at Ernst & Young's Young Entrepreneur of the Year Award. Fortune Magazine called him one of the top 10 minds in small businesses. And SRC Holdings has been nominated as the top 100 companies to work for in America. Pretty much Jack's a badass, and he's amazing, and what he does is so Awesome! That this episode is literally one of my favorites. His unique approach to leadership, operating a business, and his KPIs has taken his companies to the next level. And a lot of people think of it as unconventional because of how transparent and how he runs his companies. Jack took SRC Holdings from a nine million dollar debt and a hundred thousand dollar down payment with an eighty-nine to one debt to equity ratio and ten cents a share up to six hundred dollars a share. Doing over $400 million in revenue and he took... People on the shop floor making 15 bucks an hour now that are literally multi-millionaires because of his ownership thinking. He ended up doing an ESOP with his company and then they have just absolutely exploded through his open book management, the great game of business operating system and how he uses transparency and leadership to get everybody rowing in the same direction, playing the same game and absolutely destroying the competition and changing people's lives. This was literally one of my favorite episodes, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did because it was an honor to interview Jack Stack. Sponsored by Arcona's Growth and Exit Boot Camps. Three days jam-packed with material on the five growth and exit principles and the world of mergers and acquisitions. You'll
1: walk away knowing exactly what steps to take to get your target valuation and your best exit option. Three days at our Boot Camp will give you the clarity to control the
0: rest of the journey. Good morning, Jack. How are you?
1: I'm doing great, Ryan. How are you?
0: Doing good. I'm super excited uh, to have you on the show. As I was saying, um, Bo Burlingham is a hero of mine. When I read his book, uh, which all my audience knows, after we sold the business, and obviously then uh, kept going with his books and read yours, and kind of one of those things where like, holy shit, I wish I would have read all of these when we had the business because <laughs> it, w- it would have been able to be a little bit more applicable. And um, you know, I actually, uh, I-, I actually mentioned your book in my keynote, and one of my friends went and. He did the great game of business after hearing it so he was uh he's pretty excited to listen to the show too but the you know so jack i'm just you know maybe just give us the quick br- uh brush strokes of src holdings like how like the kind of the origination story because i know it started with 100 grand and you know you and some partners like what how did it start and then kind of uh how did it end up into the esop that you guys ended up doing well i'll
1: make it kind of quick i mean we we basically um did a hard time, <laughs> and what I mean is that it's not prison time <laughs> we, we were we were byproducts of the industrial revolution, and the old command and control era, the era of where loyalty, security, family life quality was predominant but difficult to be able to achieve. so um I worked for a, a fortune five hundred company for fourteen years and really believed in those kind of things, believed in security, believed in getting home at four or five o'clock at night, you know, but then I was there when it collapsed. I, I was there when we transferred from the industrial age to the information age. And that happened around the eighties and it was pretty devastating. It was a huge, uh, layoff in our country and unemployment was at 12% real time, 12%. So when you were, um, trying to survive, it was very difficult, uh, Because if uh, you downsize the company and you lay people off, you know, it was very difficult for them to find a job at a 12% market. And we were at this time now, after 14 years, we were assigned a small factory in Springfield, Missouri, and it was on its knees in the, in 78, 79. And by the time we had gotten down here uh, by 80 to 82, we just turned it around. We just ripped and roared and. And we just had a really, really good time. We were so far away from the corporate office. We were entrepreneurial. The community, most of the people were farmers that came out the farm and went to work and said simple things like give me the tools to do the job and get the hell out of my wife. You know, and Yeah. Man, that's like Nirvana. It's for a lazy manager. It's like you Nirvana. Know, right. you, you know, I came from an industrial union, 4,000 employees under one factory. I mean, you know how difficult that was okay and now someone sits there and goes speed me you know so yeah. <laughs> uh, we gave them everything we gave them tools we gave them uh knowledge we gave them uh, uh, pride and uh, we ran a really good show and took out everybody there were 17 manufacturing facilities inside of uh international at that time and uh we took almost down every one of them on every metric you could have and so we didn't, we really I uh, came to the conclusion that people love to win. You know, they just love to win. And that's almost the only thing you kind of unify behind, other than you hate to lose, <laughs> you know. But So what happens we now crash and the company says, look, you're not part of the core competencies. And every time they say that, it's like hearing a flush, toilet flush, right? So, you know, when you get into the diversified division, nobody lasts more than a year in the diversified. So I went to the people and I said, look, you know, um, we got transferred. This doesn't look really good. Do you want to make it counted buying the place? And I only asked them to buy the place. And it's roughly it was about three hundred people at that time. I, I asked them they wanted to buy the place because I was, <laughs> was going to feel so guilty that I'd have to lay somebody off, and I couldn't lay somebody off if I thought I'd, if I didn't try not to lay them off. Okay, so I went to them and I said, "Do you want to buy the place?" In the hopes that they would say, "Are you crazy? Are you stupid? I don't want to. I don't want to follow you." And they were so afraid. Okay. I didn't follow anybody, <laughs> anybody that had an idea because, you know, we laid off in the in the corporate 1,000 people a week for two years. Okay, mm-hmm. that's how many. So every newspaper article, every movie show, you know, showed the demise of International Harvester in, from 1980 80 to 1983. So the people, I ended up saying, oh, God, okay. So we made a run at buying the place and it was all story all to its own we had we knew how to make tractors we knew how to make engines but we did not know how to make a company we were never we're never training we're never trained in 14 years to build a company okay i mean they always we wanted we had to build the best td25c construction equipment and get it on that rail car and that was the extent of what our responsibilities were we would lead the hundreds and hundreds of people but you know, never giving any financial information. All right. HR, a- really a- a- H-
0: all that stuff.
1: <laughs> well, man. That's, that's exactly right. You know, and <laughs> most of it is, you know, I was a superintendent of 500 people and you're just trying to survive. Okay. I mean, it's not, you know, you're not going to uh, worry about what your margins are and your tractors. I had to get the engines and the tractors and the tractors to the customer and. Then you go into buying, a, and I had a lot of good metrics. Okay, I had mean, really strong metrics for in manufacturing. It was really strong metrics, and I really appreciate the metrics. But they're all uh, centered at making a product. Okay, there were mm-hmm. not the metrics were not uh, at the company. So when I went out to try to borrow and I'm of some money, which is advice I'd give anybody instead of going to, to get an MBA. Okay, I mean <laughs> you want it, you want an MBA real quick? Go to twenty financial institutions with a lousy business plan. Okay, right. And. Oh, my uh, man, so and true. It, yeah, and that's where are not ready to sell money. You'll <laughs> you learn business real quick. So, when I went to knock on the, the first uh, banker, I looked really good. I had wingtips on that time, you know, and I had a fake laptop computer. And I thought, you know, image was everything. And I showed them how I build a tractor and <laughs> couldn't care what. So, they just, <laughs> they go, man, you know, we, we got a different language up there, okay? We do have different met- metrics, you know. We wanna see your collateral, we want to see your receivables, we wanna see your inventory <laughs> turn, you know. We wanna you know and I'm sitting there like, Are you kidding me? I never heard of anything like this right. like, Man, my Just give uh, me the money. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought I was loyal. I, look at it, I'm saving three hundred jobs, guys. Guys, this is like morality, you know. It's like <laughs> why, why wouldn't you learn <laughs> money when we're we're trying to do the same jobs, you know? Going back to our uh, church religious days, you know, we're going to save the world. So uh, <laughs> we learned. We then had to learn banking. I call it banking. We had to learn what, a, how uh, investment communities, you know, people look at a business, how they evaluate a business, and a lot of, a lot of times the product has nothing to do with it, or the service has nothing to do with it. Okay, when it comes to the banks, okay, or mm-hmm. it comes to the people that have money. But by after about ten or fifteen trips to the banks, okay. I mean, it became a routine. And I kept, and I, I worked at night with these 14 column green long sheet papers, right? I mean, I really worked out trying to figure out a cash flow statement. <laughs> and then and eventually, and then let me tell you one thing, I've 14 tries and never got it right. Okay. But I always took cash flow and put it in the last month, right? Whenever I was short, <laughs> I just <laughs> plugged the last year. But then I would, I would go through the process and I, in the process, going through the process i could figure out well why didn't anybody teach me this earlier because oh my gosh so true. i can this is that it doesn't change okay i mean it doesn't change you know when the monks put this together in the 1400s it hasn't changed since the 1400s all right and uh, <laughs> then i really kind of then i got, got angry okay i got angry from the standpoint of uh Wow, in 14 years, they never asked me to create an outrageously successful company. They never talked to me in these metrics. They only talked to me in the metrics of a of a tractor. What would have happened if they would have just said, look, this is the metrics of, of a sustainable, successful business You know that will be able to provide the the values of security, the values of health care, the values of loyalty, the values of you know uh security you know and and they even got more irate because in manufacturing you're talking about you learn productivity and productivity is about taking steps out of the process mm-hmm. and my point was that if everybody wanted to have an outrageously successful company why weren't we quantifying that with our people why were we telling them that they had to put 300 turbos on these assembly lines on units eight hours a day and repetitive uh, accountabilities, okay? Accountabilities that only had relationship to the product didn't have any relationship to the financials of the company, okay? Oh my gosh. So we made a promise on our fifteenth to twentieth visit to the to the financial uh, gurus, we made a promise to ourselves saying this is crazy. If we want if we want to have this kind of company and this is the metrics that we're thinking we can do, why would we ask everybody to do that, you know? I have really good engine builders and I have really good tractor builders, all right, you know, but I don't really have good business people, you know. <laughs> but yet, at the same token, I was supposed to get these metrics in business. So, uh, through a whole com- comedy of, of mistakes, okay, and over maybe almost 50 visitations on raising capital, we found a bank that was in serious trouble. And when you're in serious trouble, you got to book bad loans. And we finally realized we are the best ones for this bank, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and we are the best loan <laughs> out there. <laughs> wow! Well, yeah, I mean, if you're really going to increase your net interest margins, you got to take a lot, a lot of risk. You know, there's really nothing, nothing more riskier than they what we we're tracker doing boys now. some money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was crazy, and so we just went up to Oprah and and said, uh, uh, "I hear you're booking loans. I got a doozy for you, right?" <laughs> So uh, it was in the midst of a collapse of a of the the biggest bank in America. They fired their chairman out in California. They fired their New York president. They were closing down their asset based lenders. And we ended up because of all these things coming together to book the worst loan in corporate America. <laughs> okay, we ended up borrowing nine million dollars and only had a hundred thousand dollars for that All right. which is a miracle. And today's terms, you know, it's like 89 to 1, debt to equity. I mean, they don't even do 4 to 1. They don't even do 4 to 1 today, you know? So you can can imagine. (laughs) You can only imagine there was divine intervention. That's the only explanation for someone doing this. For 100 grand. (laughs) So then that was the start. I mean, the start was we were heavily in debt, 89 to 1. We had an interest rate of 14%. Our first year, we owe a billion to an in interest expense alone, right? <laughs> and, but we had saved, we began to save hundreds and hundreds of jobs, okay? we harvester quickly fired us, and then we had to hire ourselves back, which is interesting. And we, but we began by showing people the metrics of business, the finances of business, how to measure uh, a healthy company. And it's really kind of simple, because you are told in a simple accounting course that you measure the health of the company by understanding the health of the balance sheet. That's a fact, that's reality. Mm-hmm. So let me tell you what your temperature is. And instead of being 98.7, if it's 101.1, you know you've got a fever and you gotta do something about it, right? So it was amazing at first because it was very difficult for our people to really understand it. And the reason that they didn't understand it is because nobody taught them. Yeah. But more importantly, nobody really wanted to relinquish that kind of information to be able to teach the people. So therefore, the people were intimidated from the standpoint that they must be stupid and they're not allowed to see it. So therefore, let's not ask any questions about it. Now, the bad thing is, is that they're coming to work every single day, buying houses, buying cars, and putting kids through college, and they don't have any idea whether the company is is, is liquid or not, right? Oh, so our crazy. philosophy was, man, you can't get any more transparent to say, we've dug about the deepest hole you could ever imagine. <laughs> please you help you us. Know. Yeah, so please don't ask me whether you should buy a car or whether you should have a kid. I'll just tell you, no, right now you probably shouldn't, you know. <laughs> and But if you take the uh, balance sheet from 89 to 1 to 4 to 1, you know, man, you've really got something here. And then if, in fact, you had a piece of that pie – you know, you wouldn't believe how this game is played. When all of a sudden you take a tremendous amount of debt and you convert it into equity, mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and you won't even believe it. You still twenty years later, you won't believe it because you're not going to believe that one worth of profit can be equivalent to anywhere between five and twenty times that amount. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's going to be a very difficult. But all along the way, we'll try to teach you and tell you exactly where we stand. So we began to. To speak in banky, banky, they call it. I don't know what else to call it. All right, um, and we communicated. We taught people business, and what happened was, is that when you teach people the fundamentals of business, man, they create their own businesses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what's happened is that I mean, we've just had a 36 year run that has just been a miracle. You know, and and we've had a ball doing it, all the and through all different types of hailstorms and hurricanes and tornadoes and everything of this nature, but when you get people to really understand business, it's just, it's productivity. It's it's what the world needs. It's what the United States needs, you know, because I think what's happening with the system that we have right now is that, um, you know, there's an argument about the 1% versus the 99%. And it's always used as an argument. Never do we ask the question, <laughs> Does uh, would the 99 like to be one of the ones, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so, so we go out there and try to tell our people, don't bitch about the one percent, okay? I'll we'll show you how the one percent
0: got let's to one percent. Yeah, let's do it. Well, yeah, it's it's so crazy, Jack. I was uh I was re-listening to your book um, before the show, and I, there, there's a you know I, there's so much that I want to um, unpack here, but you know the one of the things that I, I there's a very you know parallel stories because I got I got slammed into um, into our family business. And um, we were factoring, so I mean, for all intents and purposes, it was very similar to yours. So we had zero line of credit for a twenty million dollar business and a hundred yeah. hundred people in payroll. So like it was literally yeah. like like you had said, like you just have no choice to get everybody on the same page to help help you. And that, yeah. the thing that I find it interesting to kind of uh, tie this all together is that, you know, I was never a very good student either, and then like you know, I was never a finance guy, but then you become like you learn it, and I think it's so interesting because all of this ties really back down to education. And I, no one ever was able to answer the why question for me. I'm a guy that asks why all the time. Oh and, yeah, I, and then people just say because, and I'm like, you want to you want to piss me off is just say because without any context. And then what happened was is when I got into the you know the troubled business, I found out what the because was. And then you you learn the balance sheet and the cash flow statements and the P and L, and you're just going, okay, I got I now know what game I'm playing. And I now understand, and then everything trickles down from there. And it's just, it's very amazing that, that people don't get taught this stuff. And it's just crazy because I, I watch how fun people, how much fun people have. But to to tie it back to what you were saying in America and all this is that I see a huge problem with that where like, there's just not anybody teaching this stuff. And you, you know, the 1% that like you're talking about, I don't know if you're familiar with Ray Dalio. So Ray, Ray, really, yeah, I am. Yeah, I love he wrote this amazing article talking about really it's a lot of the stuff that you talk about in your book and like just educating people on this so that way they can participate and uh, conscious capitalism is talking about it these days and I think that there's a shift in your book literally and what the great game of business is is a way to like actually bridge that gap I, I just I don't know how else you can do it
1: it is bridge it is bridgeable. i mean we have we have people on the shop floor making 15 16 18 dollars an hour that have over a million and a half dollars worth of equity <laughs> that's so we cool. have and that's, all right, let's put it another way we have people on the shop floor that are are the 1%
0: <laughs> there's no other way you can do that
1: no i now there isn't and, and get it it is just absolutely your world opens up and it's a tremendously different way of looking at things uh, You're now bringing back the dream, man. You're bringing back the I, dream. I mean,
0: it's and amazing. there is
1: really a dream out there. There is a dream out there.
0: Well, and I, I interviewed this gentleman named Dana Goldstein, who uh, he's now running this um, company down in Cedar Rapids. They've been around for 134 years, and they're in ESAB. And he said, like, literally, it's the, it's the purest form of capitalism because you can directly invest your labor and your work. Like, you can't do that anywhere else. But you also
1: keep your own working capital, and the government doesn't get it until the associate leaves the company. So your private ownership is more responsible on capital than public ownership is.
0: So, so I, you it, know, was your it's I, your capital, it's your capital, and when you get to keep it. And so, Jacob, you know, for the for the listeners, let, let's. Can you explain? You know, because we're you know we're obviously talking some about the ESOP, but explain. It, may, it makes sense to me now how you ended up kind of leaning towards that the ESOP. But you know, what were the challenges, Because you know, I think you know that the challenges of going for where the owner is today, and I think it even starts with the owner. Where I, so based on what what I do for uh, my job now, Jack is that the uh, the most owners don't even know this stuff like they're juggling cash flow all the way to the end instead of actually you know doing the stuff that you're talking about so how did you you know not only what like what was the context of the esop and then how did you get the like how did you explain maybe explain your like your planning process of how to actually do this because i think a lot of people just get paralyzed thinking okay i know and i understand what jack and ryan are talking about but how in the heck do you do this
1: that's a really good question i i uh, what we did is we were we went on and said, hey, you know, we're going to teach an income statement. They all ran out of the building, right? <laughs> Banky, what? <Well, laughs> I just want
0: to make tractor parts. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, you know, I remember one lady thought she was going to turn into a pillar of salt because she had worked at a previous uh, organization and everything that came across her desk was not for her eyes only and, you know, confidential. And so there there was this curtain that everybody thought where the ax was going to fall if they looked at a financial statement. So it was really raw. I mean, we actually had to go back and start with compounded fractions in a lot of cases, because you can't do a, an analysis of an income statement without understanding percentages. So we even brought in the fifth grade teachers in the community to be able to provide classes and going over it. But ultimately, what happened was that we decided to transfer our SAP into filling out income statements, okay? So what was... The idea was, um, if you if I could you go back to the Venetian monks, I would have said, when you redid this income statement, could you left the line? Can you left space for a name? Because what I found out was that everybody in that company was tied to a number in the income statement. All right, and for every you know whether it's material price variance, purchase price variance, whatever you want to call it, you can break down your cost of goods any way you want it. But somebody owned that line. Okay, yep. so they said, oh man, this would be an interesting way to just instead of writing these accountabilities, you know, what if we just said your accountability is the line, right? Right. It's kind of simple. You know, if you wanted a 6% reduction in your material costs, that's a purchase price variance. We got someone that's at of purchasing. Welcome, welcome to the party. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So about that? It was pretty, it was pretty productive. It was pretty productive by having them, uh, instead of having the staff meeting where you're giving them anything you can find to communicate. And believe me, Everybody says communicate, but we give people nothing to communicate with, right? So we thought, okay, what if they gave us (laughs) the information? (laughs) You know, we rolled up an income statement and a cash flow every week, and then we gave it back to them, and then we consolidated where the entire company was. All we'd be doing would be converting the stories of people into numbers, and that's all numbers really were, right?
2: Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So that's when we started the huddles. That's where we started the scorekeeping, which everybody finds to be really interesting, is our huddles are putting together financial statements. The financial statement is basically what we think the expectations are gonna be at the end of every month, okay? And we also have a financial planning process that they put together, where they just put their own numbers in for the financial plan. They're held responsible for a year, Okay, but at the same time, they're always monitoring and they're given information and, you know, but the whole idea is there's a realization that a standard is set by a marketplace and it's not set by a CEO or an right. HR department. And so we built a hunger for people to learn, okay? I mean, nobody wanted to go up in front of their peers and said, oh man, I really screwed up. I like, All right, especially if you give them a, a, a tool to write it on the board or write it in a program. You know, it's a direct relationship. How do you like to go every week in front of your peers and say, oh, man, I got to drop this number again. I got to drop it again. I got to drop it again. So this transparency created this really, really interesting peer pressure where people began to realize that they are the ones that make the difference. Okay, Mm -hmm. That if they can come together and improve that line, they could prove their psychic ownership, then the ownership of the company is going to grow. So we built in all these kind of unusual Performance measurements, but they all really came down to where you stood against the financial plan that you told everybody that you can make. Okay, yeah. So it was a one-on-one line of sight. When accumulated by, right. yeah, it was cum. I mean, really kind of simple when it, you know, Irene, what are you, what your receipts going to be, you know, and you know, Benita, what what do you think the receivables are going to be? Go, you know, we don't realize that because somebody doing what is going into that financial statement you know? well, I think, so it was all about ownership it's not only the ownership from the equity side of it it was it was ownership from the, the job side of it so yeah, once yeah. we got the responsibilities played out and then we were able to consolidate everybody then we decided that look we we were people that first started with nothing that said ah went for all, all for one we're going to make everybody owners okay <laughs> and uh then we decided to make everybody owners and then the they said, "Oh no, no! You, if you have over a hundred dollars, you got to go public." There's all these laws, you know. The bank said, "We're not going to chase owners all over the country to pay this debt down." You know, we're not going So we well, found ESOP as a methodology of putting more than a hundred people into a equity position, and it fit real well for us. And so now the challenge was to complete, you know, teach people what the benefits of ESOPs were
0: at that time their stock price was like 10 cents a share, which is hysterical. <laughs> is that what it was, man. Is yeah. that what it was? Uh-huh. That's, that's what it was, because I read one of your articles, were like was it end of last year, oh, yeah. 102 or something like that?
1: Well, no, that, um, our, our uh, comparative to the 10 cents, today it's like 600 bucks. <laughs> that's okay, because awesome. we split it, we split that, we split the stock, okay. you know, six times. So the $100 of stock they have in their hands today is now worth $600. Uh, pre, pre splits. Okay, yeah. so I think somewhere the the original hundred thousand dollars over the last thirty six years has accumulated in terms of a value of almost three hundred million dollars for the associates. But <laughs> so what what's really cool about it is that you know a lot of them now have retired, taking a hundred million out, but they are now investing it back in the communities buying their own businesses yeah. you know excited about continually playing they're not retiring you know early you know i can't tell you the number of people that have retired here and started multiple businesses because it is in their dna okay
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: what, so I, that was the now the, now the idea is to teach the the younger generation that you know you have the opportunity to have instant gratification in terms of wages you have Healthcare program, we give you a bonus program, but on top of that, you now can get sweat equity. All right, and sweat equity is what your big leap is from getting out of the 99 and becoming the one. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not wages. It's not wages. It's not benefits. Okay. It's not days off. Short time work. Okay. Is man, you got to capitalize on owners owning something.
0: Well, it's you know I think Jack like I. I still, to this day, as I look at, you know, different owners and I, like, I, I said in my email to you, like, you know, like there's, so there's the Inc 5,500 and then you got the Vistages and the EOs and all this stuff. And like, it's all BS until you look at the numbers. The joke that my dad and I have is we literally lost hundreds of thousands of dollars the year we were on the Inc 5,000. It's like, it's such a joke. Do okay. you, you want a true confession?
1: Do you want a true confession? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, in the very, very early stages when it was less than the Inc. 5,000, okay? I was heavily involved in that, okay? I went to every one of them. And I never felt so guilty when we went there and praised the fast-growing company, knowing fully well that half the audience could not make payroll on Monday. <laughs> I okay. know, it makes no sense. It, 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 I, I quit going. I, I, I felt like I was truly contributing Right to these ideas of scalability, of cocktail talk about I'm a million dollar company, okay, why in the world are we promoting top line growth, you know, when there's
0: nothing below it? <laughs> oh my gosh, jack, I, I I know, and it's so funny because like like I would say, in our in our business, so i I started just total raging sales organization because or industry because it's copier sales. In the whole industry was comping their salespeople on top line revenue, and I remember because it's a family business, I just crushed my quota this one quarter. And I, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we lost money on what I did, like, and you yeah. paid me lots of money. How does that make any sense to anybody? Yeah. And made, yeah. I don't, yeah, get it. you
1: know, but that's, a, that's the journey into uh, bank ease, okay, yeah. It's that the bankies really, you know, it's like going down there and you got to face the Indian that's got two roads, right? You know, <laughs> you—it's glaring what you have to do, and then how to put the puzzle together to make it fit. You know. Yeah. It's a, you know, but well, I, 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 you know, let, let me just tell you something about your, your, um, when you were telling me about you and your dad's business. Doug Tatum is a great friend of mine and wrote a tremendous book called No Man's Land, okay? And he believes that the majority of businesses today are no similar to what you took over, okay? Mm-hmm. That they have worked hard, they've scaled high, but they, the debt that they have to endure, okay, mm-hmm. and one penalty after another means that these entrepreneurs can all, will never grow over a certain size. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like being in a room where all the oxygen is out of the room, all right? And you're barely, <laughs> you know, brushing up at the ceiling to breathe. But yeah. like most of our industries are like that, okay? I know, I know. When, uh, you know, when Doug writes about, he says, look, look, we should be focused on these entrepreneurs. They're tremendous entrepreneurs, okay? Just because they got themselves into kind of a debt situation, okay? They still grew the business. Now, let's teach them, okay, if they do have additional capital and what they could do, you know, you're going to see a whole boom of these businesses become more secure, mm-hmm. happier and bring everybody along with them. I, that's what
0: I believe. Oh, I, I totally agree, Jack. And like, you know, it's so if you take what, what you were just saying to Doug and, and again, all this kind of goes down to the financials and understanding the game. Right. And the way when I like when I look at these entrepreneurs, because, you know, I've been there and, you know, it's so funny because. It it all ties not only to the financials and what you're talking about, but you you know you like you say in your book and your and your stuff is that it's the value that you have of the asset, and most entrepreneurs don't think like that. So like I'll sit down in front of someone and say, okay, so you you know you know you got 15 million in revenue. Okay, good for you, great. So now you're doing 1.5. In, if they know what EBITDA is, right? <laughs> it's like you know you're doing 1.5. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm not one- sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, what, what do you mean by that? So then I'm like, well, you do you know what your company's worth? And people will say, probably 10 million, 15 million, zero idea, like whatsoever. And yeah. I'm like, right. it's usually like, you're, if you look at your cash flow, how could your business pay for itself? what's well, actually worth 4 million right. gross. And then you're going to pay 50% in taxes and you have to pay down your debt. You literally are going to walk away with 800 grand. And people just look at you and I'm like, and by the way, these are these are entrepreneurs that probably have you know, $150,000 to $300,000 lifestyles because they've been juggling cash flow. And, and I, I personally believe living off the float and they employ so many people. I'm going, how in God's name are we going to save? I mean, this is like two thirds of American companies. I just don't, I mean, it's, it really boils down to the financials and understanding value creation and sustainable companies. And I think that, like you said, a lot of them, they hit that ceiling and it's like, They don't know where to go because there's no rule book for this stuff.
1: (laughs) Okay, what you just did um, and what you said is so right on for those businesses that are in process today, in progress, okay? Now, let me tell you where an interesting now-you-see-it-now-you-don't joke is, all right, (laughs) is we are convincing our kids on pre-evaluation, okay? I don't know if you've ever witnessed... Some of the people that will be uh, through our entrepreneur centers, our think tanks, our innovation programs, our colleges, that will then write a business plan that have one dollars on the sale and have a pre-evaluation of it of two million, three million dollars. Okay, that's insane. I know. I mean, we're we're be, that's that's like we're getting worse. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we're we're not getting any better. I mean, we're not teaching them reality. I mean, we are just teaching them. Like uh, big nightmares. We're teaching them nightmares. We're teaching them nightmares.
0: Teaching them. <laughs> I know. I talked to this. I talked to this woman, Jack, the other day. Like, because like all of the stuff that we do is people with cash flow, and I. I mean, because I'm in this these young entrepreneurs groups, and a lot of them are the pre pre money valuation. I'm going, just yeah. that that sentence makes no freaking sense to me. But okay, continue. And she, and they're like. Yeah, I, you know, I raised five million dollars on a valuation of twenty million. I'm like, how much money are you making? She's like, well, we've never made money. And I'm like, what?
1: <laughs> you are about to enter the twilight zone. Okay, this is. What I want to have that recording. You Ever have that recording in the twilight zone? You know, <laughs> yeah. you gotta listen list to it, all right. And that when it's yeah when it, when I get the pre the pre evaluation okay without any sales okay I go okay even if you do make it. Even if you do make it, okay, you're gonna go into no man's land. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand that the <laughs> the second stage of pre evaluation is lack of oxygen.
0: You know? Oh my gosh. And you know, I, I think, you know, outside of the VC kind of you total nutso stuff that like that, I you know, the big thing, yeah. that see, Jack, is like, you know, all the stuff that I just related to so much part of your your book because like I like I have the cat, you know, when you have this whole like part in the book where you talk about how obsessed you got about with healthcare and then we don't have to go on that rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. well, I am. I'm, I'm well, very I am. similar to you. We're like, I kind of like have always thought that everybody in the world just knew this stuff and never told me, but then I realized that no one is really guiding anything. And like, I'm like, okay, yeah. so I can understand this. Everybody should be able to cause I'm not that smart. And so then like how you, like actually educated the people on the numbers is just so important. And I just, I don't know these entrepreneurs that like, they're just juggling cash and they don't know. There's no like, and like you said, there's kind of like this, nostalgia not nostalgia, this uh, stigma around numbers. Right. And like, I don't know. Do you think people are scared? Yeah, right. Right. Or like, right. what's the deal? Right. Why? Like, why don't people want to do this?
1: I have tried to understand this thing, you know, and I've read and been in front of many audiences. And uh, I'm the same way you did. I, I'm the type of person that had a real tough time in school. And I, maybe you didn't, but I did. And I did not have a lot of confidence that I was smart at all. Okay? I always thought I was the luckiest guy in the world. Something was going to catch up to me, right? <laughs> and uh, so. I was able to take a very complex i think a complex uh, problem and make it simple mm-hmm. and I had to do that by inventing this great game of business okay I had to make i had to convince the people that business is no different than monopoly, business is no different than fantasy football, business is no different than uh, making brownies, okay. <laughs> And, that it, and I'll break it down into the concepts of a game. Okay, I'll tell you that the game consists of rules, it consists of scorekeeping, and it consists of staking the outcome, which is winning at the game, right? <laughs> and so we took the elements of a game because what we were up against was this wall of ignorance, all right? This wall we had to break down That We had to build a confidence in the people that they could understand this stuff, okay? Mm-hmm. Now we're talking about, you know, at our age, you know, we're just in our 30s, okay? and what you're talking about today is people now that are in their fifties and sixties that still don't know what this is all about. Okay, so we decided that okay, every connection would be to the you know, of our programs would be training them to get them to get to get them to understand what it was to be a business person. All right. Mm-hmm. And it would always be related uh, to the value of the company, but it would be uh, delegated, designated, and what we would be able to do was to show somebody what their meaning was every day, what their difference was. And we used their productivity, converted them to the numbers, the numbers went into the system, the system went back to them immediately, and we created this repetitive process. And we were able to, uh, as a result of this repetitive process, Um, and I believe it's repetition that changes culture and behavior Yep. was to move them from this state of ignorance. Okay. I mean, they would, like people would be hired and they go into a Wednesday meeting and hear the numbers on the board. They They were totally clueless. But after about six, seven meetings, seven or eight meetings, okay, wow, I got it. You know, this comes together and Oh yeah, I did that yesterday and that is what really was the result of what I did yesterday and hey maybe this is maybe Christ. there is no such thing as a set, second set of books okay maybe this shit works
0: you know <laughs> right uh, wait so uh, like wait my, my my the where I buy my paper clips ends up on the sheet right there it's not just total yeah. like, focus focus
1: <laughs> yes please and and Ryan I I've seen this everywhere I've seen it in education I've seen it in the in government okay I've seen two maintenance guy in our local government here realized by sitting in one day trying to figure out how can we contribute to the great game of business and they're sitting next to a fifty five gallon drum of cleaning fluid, okay, that they've been been you know, cleaning things one on one where they could dilute it five to one, okay? <laughs> and ending up making seventy six thousand dollars like government, okay? <laughs> because somebody 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 treated them you know
0: captured that intellectual capacity and turned it into something productive i know it well it's like it's like having a universal language and it just i like i yes yes, yes. because you can't like you said you can't play like i it's funny because i as i have come up i've tried like so many different ways, Jack, to come up with analogies to explain this. I think the game is a great... I say it's like going from two-dimensional to three-dimensional. Like everything's just different once you see this. Or like even like, you know, the Matrix when all of a sudden you see the zeros and ones everywhere and you're like, oh... Like it's kind of like it's it's not that complicated, but everybody else is still sleeping.
1: <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Well, we, you know, you get it, I get it, and there's a lot of people that get it. I can tell you, thousands of companies that get it. Okay, but it's not a mo- movement. You know, it's not a momentum. I mean, it is. and and the, I've, I've analyzed this thing kind of in the face. I, just, I think first of all, there is an emotional thing you got to get over and that emotional thing is really kind of huge, you know, I mean, do you really care? Are you competitive? You know, do you think you can do it? You know, are you interested at all? I mean, there was a, and that's why the concept of the game came into play. Okay. Because, you know, universally people don't like to lose. They don't like to lose.
0: Especially entrepreneurs too who are very, very ego
1: driven. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I don't disagree with that, you know, Um, but I think that, the second side of why more people don't do it is then they get into the dirty secret side. Okay. That they're a lot of businesses that have a lot of dirty secrets inside of them. All right. And dirty <laughs> secrets has a long list, long list. Okay. And one of the dirtiest secrets are we're really doing bad. Okay? <laughs> <And> nobody, <laughs> nobody. I mean, I get more questions saying, well, if I go out there and tell my people we're doing bad, they, they'll leave. And I said, "Well, so you only tell them good stuff?" And he goes, "Oh yeah, yeah." And I go, "So <laughs> what's their reaction?" He goes, you know, so "What's their reaction?" Oh, they don't believe me. They know something's up. You know.
0: Well, um, and yeah, because I can't pay my vendors on time, or I'm juggling stuff, or like
1: oh, God, yeah. And that is that is another story all to its own, and how that unfolds distrust in an organization. Oh, you know. I, well, it's, it's nobody a, it's, knows those nobody knows those painful experiences when you're when you're bleeding cash or you're losing cash or i mean when you get down to um not being
0: able to pay your suppliers that's your last line of credit <laughs> oh my gosh I, I tell you what i have got too many stories for this podcast and it's quite a few beers i mean like i to the point where like you know you get you cut your manager's manual checks because that gives you three days a float and then i literally i mean it's everything from, you know, forgetting to drop it into the mail because, and then you take a picture of it and you send it. To, I mean, it's all that shit that just like, it's like, it doesn't have to
1: be. Yeah. Like it. It's just, that's, that's exactly right.
0: Well, and what so I,
1: so you go. what's that? Well, you go upstream in your income statement, figure out where, where it's broken and then you fix what's broken and then it comes back and you get yourself out of the hole, you know? Oh, I know. But, if, I, but if you got, if you got no income statement to climb in or, or raise up, you know, then
0: what do you got? You know? Well, it's, it's interesting. And I, I'm thinking, Jack, you know, like where I, I hope some things that, you know, to your point, I hope that there's a movement that's starting because, you know, the, the things that I see, first of all, you know, Ray Dalio talks about like, I'm mean, in a long-term debt cycle that's going to hit, right? There's the, pay- yeah, yeah. right? Absolutely. It's blowing. you look at the balance sheets of all the companies, private, public, I mean, no one has. They're, they're, we're running out of money to fuel this, and so it, it's a system. Yeah. It's a systemic issue. And if you think about what we're talking about, like look at the balance sheet and income statement of the U.S. and all the companies. I mean, it all rolls up into one, right? And, and Ray is yeah. talking about, you know, like we have to edge. We have to invest for the long term. But then you you layer this the the stuff that I the kind of the big data points. And I'm curious in your thoughts on it, is if I'm you know crazy or like is we have the boomer cliff, the demographic cliff that's forcing these people to come into reality. Because like when they go and say, I want to retire. And then you, like I said, you reverse engineer and you say, well, you're, you know, you're going to walk away with maybe 800 grand and you, you don't have enough money to retire. And then they're going, well, now what? And so there's enough. I think you know forcing people to deal with the emotional and the dirty secrets because they have no choice. I mean if they want out. But it
1: happened it, it it happened at the dot com crisis. Okay, I was there at the dot com crisis and I saw a trillion dollars leave the market in, in almost a weekend. Mm-hmm. And it then, and then that, cha- I mean, I was trying to get programmers out of the local college here, and these guys were 23 years old, demanding six figures and options. <laughs> and uh, I go, are you out of your mind? You know, where where old are you coming from? Well, a lot of that's no different than what's going on right now, you know? Yeah. I mean, there, there are all these high expectations, and there's nothing wrong with high expectations, but eventually you crash to reality, you know?
0: Well and it's in no, I agree. And and but the, the the interesting thing is that's that was, you know, tied to a lot of public companies where like in you know, thing people race into public where this is like the backbone of America, which is what, you know, Bo talks about I mean, this is, you know, the the average person with a five, ten million dollar company that, you know, have you ever heard of Mike Malkovic? He wrote a book called Profit First. Yeah. Yeah. So he's coming on the show soon. And he's like, yeah, like he, same stories where all these people, you know, he's like all these entrepreneurs, I realize that everybody's in the same boat, like 95% of these people aren't making any money. And so I just, hopefully that there's yep. a way to like shift that. And I think, you know, the conscious capitalism and then like your open book management, like getting people to reach, like getting the owners to say, Hey, I need some help. I mean, it's- yeah, right. Like right. like, And then right. implementing something like what you're talking about will actually get them to the point where they can get there because they think their people will care about them and like, you know, push it, you know, help solve the problem.
1: Well, I want to go back to your original comment on debt and just say that someone's got to start teaching people debt. Okay. We don't teach people debt. That's why part of our process in the great game of business. Okay. Is to be able to teach the consequences of debt. And we, Feel that it's not being taught universally, but yet it's got to be the business community that's going to be teaching the people. Once we teach the people about that, hopefully the universities will listen to us, okay. And consequently, maybe the government will listen. But I just def- I think the idea that it's got to start at the bottom, and we can't re- give up on the top, okay? Because I don't think it's going to happen on the top. Yeah. Yep. So what's got to happen is that there's it's got to start in the bottom, okay? And the bottom's got to move up and that's that's why i think business is a vehicle for change i mean I, that's why you and i and Bo and that's why wonderful people get together with this philosophy okay because it's a very uplifting you know it's uh, almost yeah. spiritual almost I, spiritual I to agree. a certain degree that there is
0: hope out there okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I you know i i i totally agree like i i'm the magic that we had in our business in like the people and like, you, I mean, it's, it's yeah. the same thing, like the whole Mihai I can check me as you got this term flow, right? Like you're literally in the flow in the zone, which is all the football and you know, the athletes that, I mean, there all is right. something there that actually happens when you're all playing the same game. You know, one, one thing, Jack, that I wanted to have you comment on is, you know, a lot of the you know, a lot of owners might you know you, you you have the the spot in the book where you know a lot of owners have the use of control, the dirty secrets, all this stuff. But then like you know, all of a sudden, am I going to be having a bunch of cooks in the kitchen that are telling me what to do? Right? I can't use it. You know, the whole yeah, thing that, that does that doesn't happen. Okay. Well, can you explain why? Because I think you got the whole like you know, there's a bunch of myths of like you know the uh, the um arguments against equity and like how well be, look
1: because you know. what with. And let me just tell you, with, with knowledge, with authority, with responsibility, with ownership, that is a heavy burden, okay? It's a task. And those entrepreneurs that eat that by themselves can't go out of their office unless their ties perfectly straight or feel that they have to have all the right answers, okay, or say the right things. What a horrible life
2: okay <laughs> so you know, so they, oh,
1: you know <laughs> like they're totally petrified every day they 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 go to ypo because they're looking to find people that are having the same trauma drama that they're having okay <laughs> i mean i really think it's a great organization but i think a lot of it is that you know everyone's trying to figure out the gnawing need that they have inside let people down. You've got this position of authority, power, so it's better for you to keep it all in contained. And the reality is, is that when you delegate all that, you're delegating part of that burden to all of other people. That be most yeah. of it. They're <laughs> so not going to come running in there and picking up more responsibility and burden. All right. Hey, I'll take anyone that wants to come in my office and take, you know, shit A off monkey. my desk. Okay. Yeah. All yeah, no, <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, uh, you handle this one, you know. You handle this one. You know, you handle this this incredibly idiotic worker comp case, okay? <laughs> because it's going to affect the value of your company,
0: you know. <laughs> oh my god, I love it! it when, they don't realize they don't realize
1: that with information comes drama. It comes responsibility. It comes performance. You know you. <laughs> I, I, I've been playing this whole idea. We're, we're blowing smoke up people's ass by telling, saying this, this is value driven. And what, what freaks me out is I don't think you can have values without performance. Yeah. Okay. I think what happens is the lack of performance to the values destroys the whole value over the long period of time.
0: Yeah. Well, and then like the end, the, you talk about the, the invisible enemy, like stuff that is not talked about, people make shit up anyways. And it's usually worse. Yes. they know yeah they're instinctive anyways okay you know they're instinctive they're pretty damn smart yeah people are yeah most people are and they're like yeah i mean like there's hidden you know cues all over the place to kind of get the overall general feeling can you explain jack like you know not like you were explaining like the meeting and i think your bonus story tells a lot about how powerful this is because first of all on the on the the taking shit off your desk i mean you know there's two things. So the bonus story, but then, you know, I think you start with this, which is, you know, in the meetings, so many people were like the, the managers or the owner will go in and tell people versus like, you know, when you say you push back and like kind of this whole concept of like, I think it was that meeting where in the book where you're saying, like someone was asking stuff and you don't want to be the guy with answers because then they're going to always go to you with answers. So, like, and then, but how- you listen, the idea is the idea
1: is that you don't have all the answers. Okay. I mean, look, we got a bonus. Our bonus program comes from the weaknesses in the financial plan. Okay. And so what we do is we, Call it the critical number. The critical number is what can take you down, can take you out, okay? And you got to have the guts to face the weakness, right? So we'll do a financial plan, and then we'll measure its ratios, and then we'll get the worst ratio, all right? So this year, our bonus program is retention, okay? Okay. Because if we do not improve our retention here, okay, by 2020, we will be in trouble, okay? I mean, come on, let's face the reality is that we got high turnover rates right now. Everybody, I got statistics on in every industry, okay? Mm-hmm. But if you don't do something about that right now, all right, if you don't build a culture, if you don't figure out a hook in order to be able to get people, you know, you will not be able to take advantage of a marketplace. Because the shortages of people are getting worse and worse, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what we would do is we'll put a bounty on it. We'll put a bonus program together. They'll say that, you know, industry averages are like 67% retention. We're running at 7%. We know that if we go from 77% to, let's say, 83%, 83% would be really achievable. You know the number of dollars we would save. if, In fact, we prove that int- retention rate. It's in the millions of dollars. We then would have that for a bonus program. But more importantly, we would then fix the weakness that we have inside the company. And then next year, we do the same thing and have another weakness, okay? okay. So the whole idea of an incentive program, okay, is to look at what a banker would look like and say, ah, your inventory turns suck, right? Mm -hmm. So you say, okay, yeah, okay, they're right. There's more cash flow in that thing. So if we do get the cash flow and we'll have some money for a bonus program, let's give the associates that piece but more importantly we will turn inventories much quicker going forward over the years we fix that thing now let's go see what else is broken because everything Mm -hmm. uh, something breaks every year
0: right (laughs) right. totally so you know can you maybe uh, you probably have plenty of stories but there was that one in the book about like how your employees take responsibility when that bonus pro because of how diligently they're looking at the numbers and everybody is, because I mean, those are some hard decisions that you had to have made. Well, cause you weren't making them, but they well,
1: were- let me just tell you, let me tell you this, that, that there, is, you don't know what you have in your organization. You don't know the intelligence that you have in your office or your shop bar. Okay. Unless you challenge that. In my first year of business, I was talking about the weakness. Okay. So it's really easy in your first year when you're 89 to one debt to equity. There's lots of weakness. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a hell of a weakness. So you have a bonus program to improve the weakness, right? And man, I'll tell you one thing, using debt to equity as a, um, your first bonus program is a gift because everybody affects debt to equity, everything they do, okay? So we could roll back all these specific uh, inputs in terms of debt to equity. And uh, so after the first six months, man, we, we are now down to 60 to one, okay? Because people got smart real fast, right? And I thought we were the hottest thing in to town. I thought, man, we're brilliant. You know, this is, you, know, <laughs> you know, we're we you know, maybe we are smart. You know, <laughs> so I'm down in the shop floor, and you know, we're we're using everything. Job security is eighty nine to one. You know, bonus program is eighty nine to one. Health of the ban- company's tied to the health of the balance sheet. And um, this janitor was pushing his broom. Dave Skidmore. And he came up to me and he goes, you talk about debt back when you talk about job security. He goes, you're full of it. And I go, whoa, whoa, what's wrong? <laughs> he goes, he says, I looked at your balance sheet the other day. He goes, 76% of your receivables is in the truck market. And the truck market has every, a recession every six years. So it really doesn't matter if we get a healthy balance sheet. He said, you're going to lay us off anyways as soon as the market collapses. <laughs> <laughs> the janitor says that. I love it. I, yeah. This is a God's honesty that I dropped right there, right? I mean, I'm coming off this high thinking I'm the smartest guy in town and he nails me, takes my legs out from under me, right? So I go back, obviously, and tell my people, Like a genius you know, the 76% of our receivables. So our critical number the next year then becomes uh, diversification. Okay. Mm -hmm. So we then realized that we had to get less emphasis on the truck market and we had to spread our receivables into different markets. And we set the next year up with diversification as the critical number. They were able to get that. And we all did that because the janitor told us about the balance sheet. Oh, my God, that's the greatest story ever. <laughs> but there's many stories like that. There are oh, many, many do. stories about that.
0: Yeah. Well, in, in you know, explain when you, the, in the book, when you're talking about, because this is, this really shows when you're humming, I think, on all cylinders, is when you guys missed the bonus programs and you kind of helped, you know, facilitate the, the employees making the decision on what to do. Because that was, that must have been really, really tough.
1: Oh, no, it's really not tough when you miss the bonus program, okay? Like, right now, here's what's crazy. We're missing the retention bonus program right now, okay? We're missing it. We're, we didn't even, in the first six months, we even we didn't even, we got like we got like 75% instead of 77, which would have been the first step in the bonus program, okay? Mm-hmm. But you know what? Every single person now understands that they have a responsibility to meet the new associates, Pick the right associates, find out the DNA of what somebody uh, is best at a specific job. I mean, we are turning rocks like you wouldn't believe. Oh, I bet. That's... Okay. And we're not taking the bonus program. Okay. Yeah. But they know right now, this is the God's honest truth. Last year, and we had, we had bad record readers. Okay. I mean, really, record readers. But because of retention, we left $10 million on the table last year. Yeah. Um, yeah we left $10 pretty... million, yep. Okay. Now, and that means that for every person that you turn over, it's going to cost you 6500 to 12000 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So what's this is education, okay? Failure is about education if it's proposed <laughs> in the right area. But why waste the education? Well, if they fix this thing with retention, we will dominate our market in 2021, 22. Yep, yep. That's, I'd like, fun. it's easier to come from behind than it is to win
0: with a lead, okay? <laughs> well, right. It's, uh. my dad always used to say this is, um, People do their worst work in the good times because you know it just covers everything. Yeah, your dad's right. Yeah, yeah. And the best time in the (laughs) world. Like I learned a lot, man, but like there was not a whole lot of money floating around. But I going back to one of my points, Jack, is like, you know, I think it's easy. It shows I think it says so much about what you've built because and all the people. And when I say you and the people is like when you missed your bone like two year two quarters in a row by one tenth of one percent, it's super easy yeah. to be able to just make a call and do something. Yeah. I think that story, I mean, that ripples into like a lot of the DNA of what you guys have created. Well, they would
1: if we had rolled over and had one tenth of one percent, they would have been suspect that we had two sets of books.
0: So can you explain, can you give that little story? Because I, I mean, I, I like you, you didn't even like it wasn't you just going in and saying, hey, this is what we're doing, because it would have been really easy for your managers to kind of push you over. But like how that process.
1: Well, you know, one of the one of the perceptions were is that we were, you know, we were growing manufacturing and it was re- taking a lot of capital and um instead of just uh continuing manufacturing we said well how do we get into a cash flow business but that's a different story but the bottom line was is let's say that we had to have a return on assets of about 20 percent, all right in order to get maximum bonus mm-hmm. or even it could be the minimum bonus well, the point of the matter is is that they hit 19.8 right one tenth of one percent and uh the dilemma came down to us. So did they, did they not make the bonus program? And the reality is that the transparency of it is that they didn't.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you were going to just feel sorry for them and create an entitlement mentality, you were going to fall victim to that trap if, in fact, you wrote the check, right? Yep. yep. So we said, no, we didn't make it. We, you know, this this is the real world. This is Teaching
0: reality is tough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. You don't get a participation award, right? You didn't win. Exactly right. Yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> well, exactly right. But what I think was really cool about that is you didn't say yes or no. Like you pushed it back to your managers who went back to the shop So like it was a
1: oh every everything's done at like consensus basis. Yeah, so I mean, it is. is it's all consensus. Yep.
0: It's not just going, OK, what is Jack? You know, can we can we push and manipulate Jack? So like, no, well, no, I mean, no, no, no. no,
1: because they know they know that I, I'll take I'll take either side of an issue. They'll never know which issue I'll take sides of. It also <laughs> makes you a really it makes you a really good leader,
0: you know? Yeah. Jack, this has been honestly one of my favorite. I mean, this has been just so much fun. Brian,
1: it's good to see it. I like to. I hope we get together and have a beer one of these days.
0: Oh, that, that doesn't take much convincing on my end. So, well, you know, if there's one thing you know, we covered a lot, but you know, if there's if for an owner that's looking up and they're going, okay, I'm willing to potentially take on the emotional shit head on and the the potential secrets. Like, what would be the first step? you know, for someone to say, okay, I'm willing to look up and play the right game. I mean, how would, how do you start? What would be their first, uh, what would be your, your takeaway for them?
1: Okay. I'm crazy enough to sit there and say, okay, you know, what, 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 what are you going, you guys put together the financial plan. All right. I'd have them put the financial plan together. And I think one of the things that would happen is they'd say, well, I don't know how, or they would say, and they would create the most incredible, ridiculous plan. And then you would really get a really smack in the face realizing, holy shit, they don't know. <laughs> they don't know. Here, here I am working to get to this particular point. I'm the only one that knows the point. <laughs> I mean, when when I go and talk to see, I say, well, ask them what uh, the sales of the company are. And they'll say, if they, they, if they think the sales are $5 million, then you say, well, what is the compensation of the owner? They'll go, well, it's $5 million bucks. <laughs> okay. yep. I mean, they truly think you couldn't believe the responses that we get from people that we perceive and we think they know, and they're off by a factor of a multiple of six. Oh my gosh. You know,
0: when we cause we were doing 20 million in revenue, you know what people think we sold for? Like they're like, Oh, I bet you the tansom pulled down like 40 million. I'm like, we did not have an Instagram that we sold, guys. <laughs> like this is ridiculous. I, yeah, I know.
1: I know we got to get rid of the perceptions or we got to face the reality that there are perceptions that are screwing our, our goal to get to it, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: I mean, if, if you're letting people out there with, with shades on doing work, okay. And keeping them in the blind, you can't figure out why you can't move the needle. You might start right there. Okay.
0: <laughs> it's like putting a bunch of players, you know, just grabbing a bunch of people and going, yep. okay, let's play the game. And you got, Couple baseball players, couple soccer players, couple football players, and no one knowing what the hell they're playing, yeah.
1: yeah, and then if you there's an analogy which is pretty interesting about football, and if you use that same analogy and engagement, four of your eleven players on a football team are playing for the other team, <laughs>
0: exactly, yeah, that does not sound like a a a a team I would like to coach, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh jack if uh, if our listeners can find more information about you and the great game and all this stuff what would be the best place greatgame.com
1: you know it's pretty easy you know just there's a whole mess of case studies there's a whole mess of contacts you can get a hold of okay there are people in your areas that you can talk to and and uh, go look at and you know look under the hood and see if there's an engine there and it's running and you know uh, There's right. a
0: lot of support groups out there
1: and you're one of them. And we do appreciate for uh, taking the opportunity to put us on your podcast.
0: Oh, this has been fun, Jack. Thanks so much for coming on. Brian, right, let's see each other soon. Wow. I don't know how many takeaways you had if you got to the end, but I'll tell you what, that was one of my favorite episodes I've ever done because it's no bullshit. The reality is so many other entrepreneurs are struggling. Everybody's juggling cash flow. Everybody's trying to make ends meet. Why not play the right game, cut the bullshit, and then actually listen to what he's saying. Start talking to other entrepreneurs that get this, and you'll start to understand that you're not alone. It's one of the biggest takeaways that I've had over the last five years since we sold, is that Most entrepreneurs are struggling with all of the same things, so emotionally deal with getting everybody on board, realizing that you don't have to have all the answers. If you have secrets that the business is covering up, slowly start to address them and just be vulnerable because people will help. I swear to God, I was in a company where we got everybody helping us trying to accomplish our goal, and it's absolutely magical. It's worth it. It's a ton of fun. Everybody can make money, and I just really hope that you had a little bit of an eye-opener, and you go start diving into his material, get the book, read The Great Game of Business, because it's something that it's worth the time and the effort. So with that being said, I really hope you enjoyed the episode. If you enjoyed it, share it. Share it with anybody that you think could use the the insight. Give me a rating on iTunes and let me know if you have anybody like Jack or any other uh, great authors or speakers or entrepreneurs that you think would be beneficial for the show. So, so with that being said, I will see you next week.